And as they're approaching a town, the passenger reads a sign. The sign says, Mexia, 28 miles. The driver of the car says, Mexia? Where are you from? It's not Mexia. It's Mejia, 28 miles. The passenger says, there's no way it's Mejia. It's spelled M-E-X-I-A, Mexia. There's no double L that is silent. There's no H in that word at all. It's Mexia, 28 miles. He said, no, it's not down here in the south, especially along the border. It's Mahia, 28 miles. So they get in this big, heated argument as to what the pronunciation of this particular town is. So for the next 30 minutes, they argue quite vehemently at times as to the pronunciation. So as they pull off the side of the road, they pull into a restaurant. And as they pull over, they ask the guy who's there. They said, listen, my friend, the, the driver says to him, my friend and I for the last half an hour have been arguing over where we are says, can you do me a favor? Nice and loud and nice and slow. Tell us where we are. The man looks out of the window and he says as clearly and slowly as he can, you're in Burger King. <laughs> so there you go. Now, you know, sometimes I just think every now and again, that you need to be as clear and as loud as you can about certain things that God's trying to say. Because words do mean something. Contrary to all the political rhetoric that we hear surrounding us today, words mean something. They always did and they always will. And when it comes to God's word or when he says something and he's encapsulated what he said in, write, in written form, God means what he says and his words mean something. And so as we go through this particular series, when it comes to finances and when it comes to managing your money, the words that God uses that will help us are words that we need to listen to and are words that we need to apply. So what I'm going to try to do in, in, in a nice, clear, and, and uh, as slowly as possible is share with you in this particular session five financial fundamentals, five financial fundamentals that will help us to better manage our money. Five financial fundamentals. Nice and clear, nice and slow, and they'll give us the tools that we need to better manage our money, and they'll also give us the tools that we need uh, to become better stewards, as we discussed in the last couple of times that we were together. A steward, if you recall, is one who manages the resources of another. Stewardship, by definition, is the management of God's resources to attain God-given goals. So what we want to become are better stewards, those who manage the resources of God in a more effective manner to be able to somehow or another uh, achieve God-given goals. So five financial fundamentals. The first one, as loudly and as clearly as is possible to share with you, is this. Number one, honor the Lord first. Honor the Lord first. I cannot emphasize this particular truth enough. This is the foundation that will lead to better money management. If, if you recall when we were talking about stewardship, we talked about the management of God's resources for the purposes of achieving God-given goals. What we need to recognize and understand is when we honor the Lord first, it keeps our priorities straight. Honoring the Lord first. It, help us, it helps us to remember or always keeps before our eyes the reality that, you know what, God owns it all. And every time we honor him first, it's a reminder of that particular truth, that God owns it all. He gives it to us according, he says, to our abilities. And he 
demands that we, in faith, step out and act upon these things that he's telling us and showing us what we should do with those resources that he has entrusted us. So we need to recognize and understand that, you know what, it's a, it's a constant reminder that God comes first. It means, in simple terms, that the first check that you write should go to him in some form or another. Now, we'll talk about in a future session who do we give to, how should we give, whether we should give, things of that nature. And, and, and you need to understand something here. There, there's, a, there's a danger when you teach financial principles, and I, and I know this is true, and I want you to listen to me carefully. I am not trying to tell you what to do with those resources that God has given you. That's the easy way out. See, a lot of us want, us, want, want to know, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Some of you want to tell me how much we're supposed to give. Tell me who we're supposed to give it to. And then, you know, make it simple. No, we're going to discuss, you know, how much should you give? Well, we'll talk about that. Who should you give to? God has some answers to that as well. But as far as me telling you what to do with those resources, it, 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 I mean, don't be afraid of that because I'm not going to do that. And as you'll see as we go through this, God has some definite ideas since they're his resources, what he'd like us to do with them. But it really becomes a matter of choice on your part whether you want to do it or not. It's like in anything else that God tries to get across to us, we have to be convinced that what he says is accurate and then be convinced to the point where we now act upon it. But what it does mean is this. In some way, shape, or form, to honor the Lord first means the first check that we write has to be to him in some manner or another. To remind us that he owns everything. To remind us we're just stewards or managers of his resources. And in Proverbs 3, 4 through 10, we're reminded why he comes first. It says, Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, for fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to the bones. It says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. And with the first fruits of all of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. With the first of all of our fruits, what comes first? God wants to come first in all of our lives. God wants to come first in all of our lives. And it's important that we recognize and understand that. The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. You'll put nothing before me. I demand to be first in your life. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, and his righteousness, the Bible says that all these things that we worry about, specifically in the context that he was talking, was that of finances. He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and do what's right before God, then all these other things that you worry about, food and clothing and shelter and stuff, all that stuff will be taken care of because God is first. Same thing's happening here. I wonder how many of us are in financial trouble today or experience financial difficulty in our life because God does not come first in our life. We say with our lips that he does, oh yeah, I put God first, but in our actions, he is way, 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 way down on the list. He may be number nine, he may be number 12, he may be number 15 in your life because what we really believe in our heart is demonstrated in our actions. And he's saying that, hey, if I really come first in your life, then why wouldn't the first check that you write be back to me to demonstrate that I am first in your life? And we need to recognize and understand that because God's promises in this case is a conditional promise. 
He says, you honor me with the first fruits, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and then your vats will brim over with new wine, but only then and if and only then. If I come first, then I'll bless you. Why? Because we've already seen it. He gives to us according to our ability, and if you remember the parable of the talent, he gave one ten, one five, and one one. And the one who got one that didn't have as much as the one who had ten had an equal opportunity to be faithful in that action. But you know what God did to him? He even took the one that he had and took it away from him and gave it to the one who had ten. And then you wonder why and you sit around moaning and groaning because other people around you seem to be more blessed than you are financially in other ways. And you sit there and you wonder, well, it just doesn't seem fair that they've got more than us. Well, you know what? Maybe they have learned this principle. And maybe if you took time to talk to them and understand what's going on in their life, God blesses them, oftentimes because they're faithful in keeping Him first. And they don't have a problem with an open hand. Do you want to dump out as much as you want? Dump it all in. Because I know I'm accountable and responsible, and I'll do with it what you want me to do with it in the way you want me to do it, because I'm just a manager of your resources. What should I do with it? And you know what God says? Hey, you know what? And I'll just keep it flowing into those hands, because we're getting stuff done there. We're accomplishing some things. We're accomplishing my goals. And as long as we're accomplishing goals, I'll just keep dump, I'll dump truck it on your head. In Malachi chapter 3, it says the same thing. You know what? You want to rob God? Then you know what will happen? The windows of heaven will close shut in your life. Now, this isn't some prosperity preaching where, you know what? If you keep the Lord first and all your financial needs will be taken care of and you're going to make a whole bunch of money and you'll drive a big old car and you'll have a nice wristwatch and you have jewelry and you have all this stuff. That's not what I'm saying at all. That could be possible, but that's not the essence of the message here. The essence of the message is keep God first and he'll make sure he takes care of all of your needs. And needs is the critical word. He will take care of our needs. Maybe some of us are struggling. Maybe some of us have the windows of heaven closed to us because we don't understand this principle. Some of us wait around and we say, hey, you know what? Well, I don't know. I don't know if we can do it. We can't make ends meet now. Let me tell you something. I believe this with all my heart. If you can't make ends meet now and you don't honor the Lord first, you will never, listen to me, never, ever, ever make ends meet, ever. Period. End of conversation. Because God's promises are simple and clear. Let me make it as clear as I can. Honor the Lord first. If you keep the Lord first in life, life falls into place. If you keep the Lord first in your marriage, your marriage falls into place. If you keep the Lord first in your business, business falls into place. If we keep the Lord first as a nation, the nation will fall into place and things will take care of themselves. And if you keep the Lord first in the area of your finances, God will do the same thing there. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put him first before everything else, and everything else falls into place. Now, the second thing that we've got to look at that's a life-changing financial principle is one that uh, is probably even more difficult to apply than the first one. And that is, stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. Everyone pick up on that? Loud and clear? You're in Burger King. Stay out of debt. Now, you know, I can't even begin to emphasize this truth enough either. As, as true as it is that you've got to honor the Lord first, it's equally true that you have to stay out of debt. 
Because most of us can't honor the Lord first because we're in debt. We can't make ends meet. We can't honor the Lord because we can't make ends meet. Why can't we make ends meet? Because we're in debt. Stay out of debt. Debt destroys lives. Debt destroys marriages and families and friendships and individuals. I don't care if you're single or if you're married. The truth is equally applicable. Stay out of debt. The best gift you can give a future spouse is come into your relationship debt-free. What a wonderful wedding present that would be. Hi, I'm debt-free. And you just jumped to the top of the list. You ain't everything I was looking for, but you're debt-free. There's a huge value to that. Debt robs us of freedom. Debt robs us of freedom and peace of mind. Debt produces anxiety in our life. Debt is bad. Freedom is good. Debt will drain you. You know, some of you are aware of this study, the study that Thomas Holmes and his colleagues did at the University of Washington School of Medicine. It was the stress scale. You know, the, the stress, every event in life uh, it would equi- equival, be equivalent of so many units of stress in your life. And so they've got this list ranging from the most stressful event all the way down to the least stressful event. But one of the things is, it's, it's a stress unit somehow monitoring system. All right, now I went through and I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, see, death of a spouse, impact 100. Now they say if you go through 300 units in a year, you're, you're, you're going to be pretty messed up. Now, that's, that's just my interpretation of that. You know, they got big words because they were getting big government's grant to do this. Um, so, and some of these grants, I guess, are good because people like me pull these things out and actually use them. Um, but the other ones, you know, we can get rid of. You know, you, you can actually cut taxes if you reduce spending. Um, anyway, <laughs> just a thought. Oh, we can't cut taxes. Hey, what are you, stupid? I mean, you know what? This just drives me crazy. Talking about finances, this is applicable. This isn't a political statement at all. But stop and think about what people are talking about here. If, we're, if we cut spending, you can cut taxes. Duh. <laughs> right? If you cut spending at home, you don't have to make as much money to cover your expenses. Right? Duh. Why can't we get this? You in Burger King. All right, anyway, so we're back to this. Um, Death of a spouse, 100. Divorce, 73. Marital separation, 65. Jail term, 63. (laughs) Interesting how that kind of all falls in place right there, doesn't it? Um, Personal injury or illness, 53. Marriage, 50. Fired at work, 47. Retirement, 45. Change in health of family members, 44. Pregnancy. Now, some of you are trying to write this down real quick. I'm dead! Some of you are like, anyway. Uh, pregnancy, 40. Sexual difficulties, 39. Gain of a new family member, 39. Business readjustments, 39. Change in financial state, 38. Mortgages, over uh, 10,000, 31. Mortgages or loans less than 10,000. And on and on it goes. Now, you know, I'm reading this thing and I'm thinking, you know what? All of these have some financial ramifications. Don't they? Divorce, been there, has a financial ramification. Jail term, well, definitely cut your earning ability. (laughs) Personal injury or illness, might miss some work. 
marriage uh, could affect your financial situation somewhat. Fired at work, that always has, an, you know, that I can tell. Retirement, that does. Uh, pregnancy, that will. Uh, sexual difficulties, may. But, you know, that may tie into all the rest of these things, too. So uh, business readjustment, change in financial state, change in responsibilities at work. All of those things have a financial impact. And all of them cause some stress. Now, God says it's pretty clear, so let's not miss it. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that I know, in any situation I've ever read about, where someone is a slave to another... They have always tried their hardest to get free from that type of oppression. True? Stay out of debt. There's another thing that concerns me about this whole topic. I ran across this article in the Wall Street Journal, September 23rd of this month, 1996. It says, does a rising trend in bankruptcy mark a shift in how we treat debt? With alarming aplomb, record numbers of Americans are officially going bust. A century ago, someone who racked up too much debt faced disgrace and the prospect of debtor's prison. Today, a pile of unpaid bills can lead to a half hour on national television with the debtor sharing his story before a live studio audience. The Lifetime Cable Network recently introduced Debt, a show where contestants compete in a trivia contest to wipe out all that they owe. But first, they have to explain to the host, Wink Martindale, they got to explain to Wink why they need some money. Hi, I'm Robert. I'm in debt because I bought a condo and needed lots of repairs, says one recent contestant. The audience goes wild, cheering all the time. He brandished a sign displaying his debt of $7,322. Hi, I'm Renee. I'm in debt because I started my own tree farm business, a smiling contestant said. Her tally, $6,766. Now, the clever concept has viewers chuckling, but some followers of consumer credit trends are reeling in in, in trying to understand this new attitude toward indebtedness. Now, this is what they say. They say, I submit that this is a a generation ago. You would not have people going on nationally syndicated television bragging before their neighbors and the world that they're drowning in a sea of debt. Personal bankruptcies and filings should reach a record one million this year, according to the the Administrative Office of U.S. Courts. Ten years ago, there were only 450,000 filings of personal bankruptcy. goes on and says, the problem is that people are carrying so much debt that any dislocation, like losing a job or having an uninsured medical expense, puts them immediately into an at-risk population. Americans have chronically low savings rates, so there's just no cushion. Says lenders, for their part, are growling more loudly than ever that bankruptcy laws are stacked against them. We've really gotten to the point where people see bankruptcy as just a way of avoiding making their payments. Interesting. While our society may be embracing debt and a casual way of life as far as repaying those debts, God says this about those of us who have debts. Psalm 37, 21 clearly says this. The wicked borrow borrow, and do not repay. The wicked borrow and do not repay. 
Now, some of you are thinking, well, what do you mean by debt? And is it wrong to borrow? Is it wrong to owe money? Is it wrong to loan money? Is it wrong if you loan someone money to charge interest? Hey, you know what? Do, do this. I've been thinking about this through the series. Um, think about some questions that you have that you've struggled with in your personal life in the area of finances. Next week, come and we'll pass out index cards. You can write those questions down and anonymously you can drop them off in the back. And what I'll do is I'll take those questions and somehow or another in the course of this particular series, incorporate those questions and give some clear answers and some definitive answers as to you know, what direction to go in those certain areas. Because those are all questions that many people struggle with. Is it wrong to borrow? Is it wrong to use a credit card? Is it wrong uh, to, uh, to loan money to a friend or to a family member? Uh, if we loan money, should we expect payment? Uh, if we loan money, can we charge them interest? Uh, if we loan money, uh, can we expect them to pay it back according to the terms in which they agreed upon? You know, those are all issues that we need to look at because they're, they're, they're the real world that we live in, and God has some definite answers as far as that is concerned. But one thing that we cannot escape, and that is this. God says that the use of his financial resources in our life is a barometer or a testimony to the world as to what we find more important in life. Who comes first? If God comes first and his word comes first, then God says this, it's the evil or wicked person who borrows money and then doesn't repay it. They don't look for a little way out. They don't look for an angle. They don't look for a loophole. God's people, when they make an agreement to do something, they do it. They let their yes be yes and their no, no. And it's a tragedy to consider the fact that many Christians are no better than non-Christians when it comes to how they handle their finances. They take money from people, they borrow from people, they have creditors they owe money to, and then they try to weasel out every way that they get and somehow or another say it's not their fault. Too bad. You made an agreement, now live up to it. I don't care if it takes you the rest of your life, if you owe someone money, then you pay them back. God says it's the wicked who borrow and manipulate and contrive ways to steal from other people and then use the laws of a land, in this particular case, to try to weasel out of it. You realize what it does to your testimony, to the people that you're, that you're dealing with as far as your Christian faith? It just gets me sick. I see it often in business. It just breaks my heart when you see Christian men and women who want to go around and reach the world with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And they say that, you know what? God loves you. And he wants to forgive you in Jesus Christ. And on and on they go. And then every time they turn around, they're trying to rip somebody off. And the world looks at you and says, I don't know, but man, I don't know what you're talking about because if that's the God that you worship and that's the God that you love and that's the God that you say that you, that, that you want to follow, I don't want anything to do with a God like that. Some of our best customers in business are people that aren't even Christians, but they've come from a generation, like they says here, a generation ago, people didn't stand up and brag about how much money they owe people and how they don't have to pay it. A generation ago, people said, when I tell you something, I mean it. My yes is yes and my no is no. We can shake hands and that's the deal. We can look somebody in the eye and say, is this what you're going to do? Absolutely. When are you going to do it? This is the day. And it was done. Now we got all kind of attorneys that are looking for all kind of ways to write up contracts so they can all figure out who can outsmart the other one and get out of it and have a loophole that it didn't mean what it said when everybody thought it meant the same thing. Don't you fall prey to that kind of nonsense. If you're a child of God, then live like a child of God. And let your yes be yes and your no, no. And God knows what a wonderful testimony that is in a world full of people that are trying to find loopholes to get out of their obligations. And the best way not to let it happen in your life is stay out of debt. 
And we'll talk about that in a future session. Because every one of these things really is, is, a, is a full session in and of itself. But I just want to kind of touch the highlights. You say, well, how, how can I stay out of debt? Well, you know what? Here's a good way to stay out of debt. Learn to be content. Learn to be content with what you have. If you learn to be content with what you have, then I'll guarantee you that it'll keep you from getting into future debt. Simple. Stop and think for a moment. Are you content? Are you content with your home? Where you live? The car you drive? The clothes you wear? The food you eat? Are you content with how your home is decorated? Are you content with the golf clubs that you have? That may be old and they're not really doing very well for you. They've been letting you down. It's time to make a change. You know, are you content with your boat, with your second home? It's like, hey, now second home, I'd be content. No. I mean, see what, see what happens is, are, are you content with any of these things? See, so often in life, many of our relationships suffer because of a lack of contentment on the part of one or the other. Many marriages suffer because of the lack of contentment on one person's part and that of the other. You'll find situations where one person wants a lot more material things, and so the other person will go out and try to gather all of those material things. And then while they're busy working and making more money to gather material things, the emotional needs of the other person aren't being met. So somebody else comes along and says, how can anybody ignore you? Well, you don't tell them that. It's because I've sent them out to go out and find me more stuff. And while he's out there hunting down more stuff for me, he doesn't have time to be here for me. See, life is a trade-off. You only got so much time in life and you can only spend it in so many places. So everything, there's a cost that is incurred. And if you want to have somebody meeting your emotional needs and being there for you, then maybe they got to stop being over here trying to make as much money as they can so you can have all the stuff that you want. And vice versa. You know, men are just as bad at this as women are. And we need to recognize and understand something here. God wants us to be content. We need to learn to be content because it's not natural. We saw in our study in Philippians that Paul learned to be content. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says, Hey, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can't make this any clearer. Your lack of contentment and my lack of contentment can only be filled satisfactorily one way. And that is in a close, personal relationship with the God who made us. Solomon said it clearly. He had the whole world and everything that it had to offer. But you know what he said? Stuff is all vanity. And the word in Hebrew is, it's a soap bubble. It's a soap bubble. If you ever had a child chasing bubbles, you know exactly what it's all about. They're shiny, they're pretty, the sun shines on them, and they make all kinds of different colors, and the little baby runs over, the little child runs over and grabs it, and when it grabs the bubble, the bubble just bursts in front of him or her. And then the child starts to cry, because the bubble didn't do what it was supposed to do. We live in a world filled with people who are being convinced that material things will somehow fill the void in their life 
that only comes with a pers- personal relationship with the God who made him. Stuff doesn't do it. Because you can't take that stuff with you. But when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, and you believe what God says about the person and the work of Christ, and he fills that need in your life, and you've got purpose and direction and everything else falls into place, you begin to realize, you know what? Stuff doesn't do for me what God alone can do. And Paul said it best. He said, you know what? And you know what God has to do in a lot of our lives? He has to give us stuff, and then he has to take that stuff away. And the reason that he does it is to help us to see that the stuff doesn't do for us what we thought it was going to do. So he'll say, here, I'll give you this real good job, and you'll make a lot of money, and you'll have stuff. Then I'm going to take that job away from you. And then you're going to lose all that stuff. And then you're going to start and think, oh, man, stuff didn't really do it for me. But I like the stuff. So then we'll go get another job, and he'll try it again. And he'll give us another job, and he'll give us more money, and then we'll go out and get more stuff. And we'll say, well, I know that stuff didn't do it the last time, but maybe it'll do it this time. So he'll say, you haven't learned yet. I'll take that stuff away from you. And on and on it goes, because some of us aren't real bright. Some of us are pretty thick. Some of us are pretty stubborn and prideful. And we want to believe what we want to believe, even though the evidence is falling apart all around us. God says, learn to be content with what you have. Are you content with what you have? And I'll guarantee you, the majority of us would, if we're honest, say no. So when we talk about how to get out of debt in the future, I'll also talk to the matter of how we get into it. Because it's very subtle. And the deception is all around us. And we're buying into it all the time. Give you an illustration. The other night, one night was it? It was not last night, the night before. My wife couldn't sleep that night. So she shared that experience with me. <clears throat> you ever have those nights where it's like, and she was talking, and she was talking, and, and I was listening, and, and, and then I continued to hear her talk, and then I vaguely was listening, and then I came back to listen again, and it was like maybe 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, it's 4 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, and I'm thinking, I'm a man. If I talk to her, I'll be out of words by 7 a.m., and I got a full day to try to manage these words because guys only have so many words a day that they can use according to all the experts. So I was concerned I may run out of words and at noon I wouldn't have anything to say if somebody asked me a question. So that's the only reason I wasn't really talking a whole bunch with her, right? So like when she was done talking, it was 5 o'clock and I was wide awake. Then I thought to myself, what do people at 5 o'clock in the morning do when they're wide awake? I flipped the TV on. So I flipped the TV on and I, this, I swear to you, this is the truth. Almost every station that I flipped to was an infomercial. Now you're shaking your head saying that's true. So you've had some of those experiences too. Oh, good. All right. An infomercial. Now, now I'm thinking, if you're up at 5 o'clock in the morning and you're watching an infomercial, you are definitely bored. And you got way too much free time on your hands at that point. And, and then people were watching infomercials. Now, I don't know if you realize how easy it is. I mean, and then everything on an infomercial looks like you need it. That's why they do those. It's like, yeah, we can use one of those. How many of you bought something from an infomercial ever? Come on, be honest. Oh, look, she's laughing. She's like, well, I can't believe he raised his hand. What? 
But I mean, somebody's got to be buying stuff from infomercials. Oh, this is a real sharp group right here. Nobody in here is buying anything from infomercials. How many of you bought something when you're on an airline on one of those airline catalogs? Yep, okay, now here we go. Infomercial airline catalogs. Okay, how many bought something from the Home Shopping Network? Oh, hey, oh, hey, now don't be picking on the Home Shopping Network. You know, that's really a convenient thing. It saved me a lot of time now. Don't be going down that street. Um, but the point is, is that we're surrounded and bombarded by, by, by advertisers who want us to believe that we need something that, you know what, we really don't need. See, contentment can't be taken from us. We can only give it away. Contentment can't be taken from you. It can only be given away. How do you give it away? Take your eyes off the Lord and start looking around and you'll lose it quick. Take your eyes off of what you have and start looking at what you don't have and it'll be taken from you quick. Take your eyes off of what you have and then compare it to what somebody else has and it'll be taken from you very quickly. It is easy to give it away. Go window shopping. It'll be taken from you in a minute. They got people who specialize in making windows attractive so that if you're walking past it, it's shouting at you saying, You need this! Take your eyes off of the Lord and you will be discontent quick. Put your eyes on what other people have and you will be discontent very quickly. Go shopping and go, go, go home shopping and go through the model home. And you will think you live in a calm and tent by the time you're done. You can have the most gorgeous home in the world to 85% of the world's population. And you'll go home wanting something just like they had at the models. You know, we need to understand and recognize that, you know what, by coveting our neighbor's goods, we will not be content. But by praising God for what we have, we'll find contentment. If you are discontent, let me save you a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of payments and a whole lot of aggravation and even a whole lot of marital disharmony. If you are discontent, I want you today to just stop and praise God and thank him for what you do have and not be dwelling on what you don't have. And I'll tell you what, it'll free you up. Number four, save for your future needs. Save for your future needs. You know, that article in the Wall Street Journal said Americans are notorious for their lack of personal savings. You need to save for your future needs. Okay, Proverbs 10.5, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful one. Proverbs 30.25, answer creatures of little strength, yet they're smart enough to store up their food in the summer. The bottom line is, when you can make it, make it. And when you make it, save it. Because you will need what you make sometime, somewhere in the future. The majority of Americans are worried that there won't be enough income. Well, you know what? The only way you can do anything about it is, you need to save as much as you can. Because you can't count on Social Security. You just can't. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, we've been sold a bill of goods and we've bought into it and we believed it, but the reality of all of it is that you can't count on it. Because you can't give people back more than they put in. Duh. It's a great system, you know, but it just doesn't work. Words mean something. Bottom line is this, save for the future. Well, what do you need to save for? Well, you know what? Because the stuff you have is going to break. And you need to fix it. And if you need it, you'll need to replace it. 
Because there are going to be times when you're going to have something you have to pay for and you only have to pay for it once a year. And you go, oh, you know, insurance bills and property tax and stuff that comes up once a year. You may have to save for that when that bill comes, then you can pay it. There are going to be times in everybody's industry. You know what bottom line is? 50, this is in the paper this morning, September 29th. 50% of Southern Californians working have experienced a job loss in the past four years. Hello, get a clue. You may lose your job. And there may be downtime to find another job. So you may need to have savings to live on to get you from point A to point B. Now another thing. If you have savings and you need to use it, don't moan about having to use it, but praise God because you have it. I was talking to a guy the other day. He was moaning and groaning because his business, he's in the development business. For two years, they've been you know, in a downturn and they've been in a recession. It's been really difficult. And he was moaning and groaning about how he's had to use his savings to get him through two years. And I'm sitting there saying, hey man, praise God that you had enough savings to get you through two years. Because I know people don't have enough to get them through two days. So at least you made enough that you can get by for two years. See, you know how, I see how weird we are. We're so, we're, we're messed up. Instead of praising God, saying, oh, thank God that I made the money when I did and I was able to put it aside and I followed these principles and I saved for that rainy day because it is pouring outside. Thank God you got savings. That's what it's for. And then there are older people that finally retire and they've got money because they've saved it so they can have it for when they're older and they don't want to spend it. Can I just share something with you? Enjoy it. You saved it. You earned it. Spend it and enjoy it. And don't just think you want to leave it for your kids. Because if you give them incentive, they'll be praying for you to go home to be with the Lord. <laughs> well, we'll miss her, but hey, we know she's with the Lord. And we know we're getting a big old check coming our way. You know what I'm saying? You never want to have somebody have more incentive to have you not around than have you around. Enjoy it, Grandma, Grandpa, Great-Grandma, Great-Grandpa. You earned it, you saved it, and that's what you saved it for. Now enjoy it. Number five. Live by a budget. Live by a budget. We'll close on this. Proverbs 27, 23 through 27. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. The bottom line is all of this is, hey, you know what? Know, what? know what's going on in your life. Know what's going on in your household. Have a budget. We'll have a whole session on how to do a budget. Some people, I mean, don't even know how to do a budget. Never had one. Don't even know what it's for. But all I know is this. If you're going to honor the Lord first, it's important that you have a plan or a budget. If you're going to save for the future, you have to have a budget and savings as part of that budget. I mean, we need to understand what our expenses are. We need to understand what our income is. We need to understand all these things. And the best way to do it is have a written plan. And a written plan, in this case, in finances, is budget. I don't care if you're single or if you're married or if you're 10 years old or if you're 100 years old. You need to have a game plan for life. And you know what I found about a plan? If you have a plan and a budget is a guideline or a plan or a game plan, but when you have a game plan, you have peace of mind that comes with it. It eliminates arguments in your household because you've already sat down and you figured out a plan. So if somebody is spending something in a certain area, you've already agreed to that. So you don't have to have an argument about it. You don't have to have any stress over it. You don't have any anxiety over it. And you know where ends meet. You know what's going on. That's all guys trying to encourage us is have a game plan and it'll reduce the stress in the area of finances in your life. 
You know, as I was going through all this, trying to figure it out, number one, honor the Lord first. How are you doing in that area? You know, you may be struggling because, you know what, you're not doing very well in that area, and you're not doing in, in that area at all. What I would say is that, hey, start today. Start small, and then as God shows you that these principles work, you'll be able to be more faithful in what he's given you. Number two, stay out of debt. We'll talk about that in the future. Learn to be content. You can apply that today, immediately. You're going to make a purchase? Hey, use what you already have. You know what? Here's what I do. Any of you guys out there ready to buy new golf clubs, do this. Lord, I'm not content with these. They're not doing me well. But I'm just going to pray that you would bless these clubs. <laughs> and this principle that I'm applying in my life. And let me go out and let me just beat my neighbor who's been beating me for the last five years. And I'll praise you for it. Amen. Just a thought. You don't have to do that. All right, number where are we at? Number four, save for future needs. Save for the future because you will need it. Number five, establish and live by a budget. You know, all these things, really, here's our philosophy in life, our personal financial philosophy in our family. And it really comes down to this. And and I believe that all these principles are kind of encapsulated in this little formula. Number one, make all you can. Now listen to me. Make all you can when you can. Now that takes wisdom, doesn't it? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and above reproach. What I mean by that is this. Make all you can when you can. But at the same time, praying to God that he gives you wisdom to balance all the other responsibilities that you have in life. I need to make all I can when I can, but still balance my responsibilities as a husband and as a father so that I don't go to one extreme and become a workaholic that's never home for my family or never around for my children. But I need to make what I can when I can because that's the opportunity that God's given me. And in our business, a lot of it's seasonal. So we have to make what we can when we can during that particular season that God gives us. If, we're, if we don't, we're not being very good stewards or managers of the time period or the window of opportunity that God has given us. Every business is like that. There are windows of opportunity. You have to make what you can, all that you can, but be praying for wisdom in the process so that you balance out the rest of your responsibilities. I'm not saying go to an extreme and be greedy and hoard things up. We'll talk about that when we talk about contentment. But I'm saying make all you can when you can. You know, it's really sad to me that we don't realize that, particularly younger people today, they have opportunities to work, to make money, to work overtime, to do these things so that, that God has blessed them with an opportunity to make money, and they don't, want to, they don't want to. They don't want to take advantage of it. We've got people that work for us in our business, and there's opportunities to be making extra money. But you know what happens is they get lazy, and then they complain about not making enough money and not making ends meet and all the rest of that. I had one of our employees call me and say, hey, you know what, isn't there any opportunities for my husband to make extra money? And I said, absolutely. In fact, you realize he turns down overtime every time we try to give him overtime. He's had a chance to work an extra 10, 20 hours a week for the last three or four weeks in a row. He could have made more money in, those, in, in that period of time than he did for a whole month. But he said, no, he had other things to do. And here's her counsel to me. You tell him that I said he has to work as much overtime as you can give him. So he comes back and goes, did you talk to my wife? <laughs> yes, I did. Would you like to work Saturday? Yes. <laughs> Say, good for you. Now you're thinking. Hey, but you know, that's why, that's why we have spouses. All right. <laughs> One of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons. Number two, save all you can. 
right? Make all you can, when you can, and save all you can. And again, that requires wisdom, doesn't it? Pray the God to give you wisdom. How much of what we're making should we be saving? And what areas should we save? Long-term savings? Short-term savings? Got a property tax bill coming? Got this coming up in just this six months or a year? There's short-term savings? There's long-term savings. Save all that you can save. But be praying for wisdom that God would help you to identify what you need for today versus what you don't need until tomorrow or what you're not even sure you're going to need it for. Just put it away because you will need it. But then also it's balanced by this. And give all you can. Don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. Don't be hoarding up. But if God brings an opportunity before your eyes and it's obvious that God's hands in it and you've got the resources and his resources to meet the needs of another person who's in need, then the greatest testimony on the face of the earth is a person who's willing to meet the need of another person by giving from themselves sacrificially. And a lot of times that means writing a check. A lot of times it means, hey, you know what? I'll give you an example and, and, and take this for what it's worth. But God's primary purpose for us on this, on this planet is to, to finally come to a decision of our final destiny. Are you going to choose heaven or are you going to choose hell? Are you going to believe in Jesus Christ or are you going to reject him? That is the greatest priority that God has for every man, woman, and child in the face of the earth. Okay, we've got this thing coming up with Knott's Berry Farm. All that we're trying to do as a leadership team is provide a venue to make this as easy as possible for you to bring friends to listen to the greatest news that they can ever hear in their life and that God loves them and it's as easy as inviting Jesus Christ in their life to become right with God. We're just trying to provide a venue because most people struggle with that. We don't know how to share that with our friends or our family or our neighbors or our business associates. So we're providing a venue that you can come to listen to someone who will share that great message with them. Now, what it's going to mean is this. It may mean that you have to write a check and invite people as your guest. But the money that God has given you is a resource that God gives to attain God's goals. And one of his greatest goals is that no one should ever be lost. You see how simple this is? Now it becomes a matter of what's your priorities. And if it's not this venue of Knott's Berry Farm, then it's got to be another venue because our greatest mission in life is to share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody that will listen. So what's so hard about writing a check and saying, I want you to come as our guest? I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody. All I'm trying to do is help you to see how real this is and how it touches our lives in a very relevant manner. See, we need to be able to give all that we can. Because it's with the resources that God's given us that we will reach people. Because the world we live in is selfish, is greedy, is self-centered, and doesn't want to write a check to save their life if it means somebody else will benefit from something that they supposedly earn. But God's people better be generous because that generosity speaks volumes to the people around us. When you say, come to dinner with me, and you pick up the tab, I don't know too many people that say, no, we don't want to. Say what? All you can eat? Buffet? I can wear jeans? This is great. Now, that's just for the guys, okay? And see, this is what I'm trying to say. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can to reach a world with the greatest message of God's love. God loves us, and he sent his son to die for us, that he who would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. We just thank you for your words, how clear they are, how relevant they are. We just pray that you would give us the strength now to go out and apply it. And we just uh, praise you in Christ's name. Amen.